0: I never wanted to start a company. The series of situations I was sort of put into, you know, the need to try to make income created this impression in me that nothing was like off the table. As I started going to college, as I started to have some work experience, I see this problem, this actual problem that exists in the world that I can see a much better way of solving and it absolutely should be solved. Welcome to
1: Secret Leaders. Today, I'm joined by Vlad Magdalen, the co-founder and CEO of Webflow. With a recent valuation of over $4 billion, Webflow is pioneering the no-code movement, and it's no secret Vlad is leading the charge in this space. After leaving the USSR at the age of nine and immigrating to America, he realized there was strength in combining technical and creative disciplines. As such, Webflow was born. And after three failed attempts to get the company started, thankfully, the fourth was a success, and we're able to hear his story today. So, Vlad,
0: welcome to Secret Leaders. Thank you, Dan. It's such a pleasure to be here.
1: Dude, so, um, I'm in so many places to start, three failed attempts, USSR, let's, you know, excuse my... uh, Basic bitch interest, but let's talk <laughs> about USSR. Moving from there to the USA, assuming that's quite a formative experience. So, talk to us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, it was a, absolutely a very formative um, experience, and um, we were just insanely lucky to even be able to get into this refugee program uh, that that even allowed us the opportunity to um, come to America. Uh, But I think that the biggest thing that that entire experience instilled in me was just the value of hard work because my family came here. You know, my parents had six kids. They were in their early 30s um, and, you know, starting a brand new life. They didn't speak the language, didn't know anything about, didn't have any degrees, didn't have any, you know, marketable skills. Uh, So it was a it was an adventure didn't feel like an adventure then but in hindsight an adventure in uh, you know seeking new ways to make a living try to figure out how uh, you know seeing seeing my dad try to figure out how he can like get different um, forms of income without first speaking the language um you know he started to learn computers started to pull me in into more even as a kid into more projects to help him figure out how to you know um uh, try to take on new jobs or do like little side gigs. And through that, I learned design. I learned, um, this application called Corel draw, uh, where I would learn, you know, like vector, uh, illustration tools that then led to, uh, web design over time that led to different, different side jobs that taught me so many different, uh, so many different skills. My parents would, you know, clean offices in the evenings and bring the entire family, you know, we would, uh, kind of be cleaning these dental offices to to make sure that our family had enough, uh, enough income to, uh, to keep going, pay rent, et cetera. Um, and, and I think through that experience, you know, it was just part of it, I was just being a kid, but another part of it, it just seemed like a, uh, this is just kind of what you had to do, what families had to do, um, in order to survive and, uh, eventually thrive. Um, and, and I think that just taught me that, um, you know, even when you don't have a specific skill, when you don't know what you're doing, just by taking that on um, and kind of leaning in, even when you're kind of forced, uh, there's so much that you can learn. And through that opens up more and more opportunities because you um, you learn how to work, you learn how to do um, more and more things that gives you a bigger uh, toolbox of, you know, what you can take into the, into the next thing. Uh, but over, I think the biggest thing that it taught me actually is just the, how much luck plays into, uh, almost all success because it had, I had my family not been able to get here, which kind of like was a fluke, uh, in a lucky accident, um, uh, my life would have been completely different. So I can't claim a bunch of credit, uh, for, you know, the things that, uh, a lot of the things that I've done because so many of, um, so many of those things are a result of just being so incredibly lucky to be able just to be in this country.
1: And Big family, right? So you said t- six siblings? Six Five siblings.
0: siblings. Five siblings, so six kids total, yeah. which is kind of a okay. small family for, uh, for my, where I grew up uh, in Russia. Hilarious. So.
1: Okay. Terrifying thought.
0: Um, <laughs> my aunt yeah, it, has 13 children. Do you know uh, and what? Eat, I told
1: and... someone a story yesterday about how I was watching a new Jamie Foxx film called The Burial, and there's a story in that the main character in that has 13 kids. So I was like, I've never heard of 13. What the hell? And now you're here telling me yeah. it's, yeah, what the hell? I am. I've got one daughter, and I'm like it's quite a lot. It's quite yeah. a lot. That's so funny. Um, okay, so your small family of six. Um, what like what about being uh, one of six? Like, do you feel like there's part of, you know, I, I guess you've just described luck, and the question is if you're willing to share. But you know, how do your siblings uh, equate as well the idea of luck because. I'm assuming not every one of them has a $4 billion company. Um, not trying to make you turn on your siblings on an audio podcast, <laughs> but it's one of those things, isn't it? Where it's like, yeah, there's luck, but there's also how you seize the moment and actually even down to like where you are in the sibling pecking order and all of these things right. that like help you defy the odds against someone else, right? And so I guess I'm, I'm trying to get your perspective on how much is luck and how much of it is actually uniquely your attitude.
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Uh, well, first of all, I'm second in the pecking order. My older brother, um, you know, he's totally different. Uh, he ended up, I think I, I played the role as we were growing up um, in America of a little bit of like de facto older brother uh, in the sense that my my actual oldest brother was like so into reading books. He didn't, uh, he was sort of like uh, more, um, more isolated, but my parents were really strict in the sense that, you know, uh, they needed to make sure that uh, there th- was like relationships with our parents were like more transactional, right? Like in, in Russia, the reason you have so many, or at least where we grew up in like this the super tiny um, uh, village where everyone had their own farm, like it's sustenance farming, right? So you had kids in order to have more, you know free labor essentially uh i mean there's more mouths to feed but you also get uh, uh kind of the economies of scale and our parents were uh, in america were all around like you know they would just leave to try to go work etc and they would come back to and expect like a clean house and you know work, homework to be done and I, I sort of took on the role of the main kind of like leader slash enforcer because i didn't want to get um get in trouble um because we would all get in trouble there's like corporal punishment was a normal thing um in our culture um where you know I took on this role of like making sure that the house was in order so that kind of gave me some some sort of natural leadership skills uh because a primarily because I didn't want to get in trouble and I didn't want my siblings to get in trouble um, and and that I think that sort of differentiated me a little bit, but funny story is one of my brothers is my co-founder. So he, uh, this is my younger, younger brother. So a, a couple siblings removed. Um, and we started this, this fourth iteration together. Um, and, and that's because we worked so much together in like some of these projects that my dad took on. And, uh, we just kind of had to, whether it's for like businesses or like the local church or, uh, something that, that my dad needed help with, it kind of like created this bond that we, uh, all sort of have this responsibility to work on this stuff together, um, but I think the the overall experience, like I think they were all say we were so freaking lucky to um, to to be given the the opportunity that we were. Maybe maybe it's a little bit different that like the younger the siblings get because I was nine years old when we left. Some of my siblings were like two or three, so they don't re- they don't even remember what life was like uh, compared to uh, what what we experienced in Russia. Um, but I mean, I, I would still think that most of them would attribute, uh, our, our our journey to luck and, um, uh, some, some combination of, uh, being forced to work hard, uh, when, when, you know, push came to shove. Um, but I, I think I, I, I like maybe uniquely had a little bit of a, because I was second oldest had more of that responsibility to. Uh, lead the family or lead the siblings when the parents were uh, were not in the house.
1: Got it. Okay. Um, and, you know, also timing, right? Like, jokes aside, but if you'd have gone to... I'm sure uh, people uh, coming over to America from Russia right now have a much harder time uh, with that narrative and also much more difficult time just to be Russian in somewhere like America. I know that you're Russian and Ukrainian, so you have, like, the both sides of the... Of the um, experience but Mm -hmm. i actually would love to hear from you what your what your view is on that and (laughs) having a foot in both in both realities as well
0: oh that's a that's that's a deep topic i mean not even not just like the kind of the identity of of coming from russia but for me especially my full name is vladimir which is like vladimir putin right so like kind of dealing with that um piece of Kind of comparison to Vladimir Putin, um, and sort of that sense of, you know, am I am I ashamed of that name? Is it something that that brings a lot of uh, a lot of kind of judgment or condemnation or maybe certain uh, certain assumptions that people might make? But honestly, it wasn't that it wasn't that different when we first came in 1991, because that was like shortly after the Cold War, and the the Kind of collective psyche was that you know you see Russians as bad guys in movies uh, and uh, there's kind of all of those jokes that came came with like okay you know the Russians are coming there's like an invasion etc. Uh, but I think the the sum total was even though there was. This, there were some of these jokes, some of these assumptions, some of these stereotypes, the vast, vast majority of people, once they, you know, got to see who you are as a person um, in this country gave us the benefit of the doubt. Like they, they came with, you know, acceptance and, um, and, you know, this positivity and grace that uh, I think was uh, very different from the stereotypes. So the, the, some total of it was that, yes, we had some you know some some kids and sometimes even older folks sort of bullying or uh, raising these you know stereotypes and questions uh that that made us feel like we didn't belong here, we shouldn't be in this country, et cetera, but that was like one percent out of the the sum total of interactions we had with um everyone else who was like deeply accepting and and very um happy to see us like succeed and, and you're in it. the west coast, right. Exactly.
1: Yep. Yeah. So it may be different if I'm speaking to you in your Mississippi or something, but yeah, un- yeah, understood. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So well, let's talk a little bit about then um, growing up as a, a, a Russian kid in America, and um, I mean the land of ideas, like the right place to be for mm-hmm. building a company like what Webflow became. So talk to me a little bit about getting into that journey.
0: To to be honest, I never wanted to start a company like that wasn't a uh, that wasn't something that was, you know, I saw various people in in kind of the area where I grew up in Sacramento start businesses. But there there were things like a dentist office or um, a, you know, a video videographer making wedding videos or something like that. Uh, So that was never really an appealing path for me. I was just always assume that I would go, you know, grow up, go to college, get a job, uh, work a regular job, etc. But I think the the series of situations I was sort of put into uh, by my dad, by, um, you know, the need to try to make income created this, uh, you know, impression in me that, you know, nothing was like off the table. Like if there was um, a problem that um, I had a inkling around able to solve like i could figure out a way to solve that problem and it was only over like as i started going to college as i started to have some work experience that these ideas for what webflow eventually ended up becoming um, started to manifest and it was it was mostly around um it was still like the idea it wasn't like I, I want to go start a business it's like I see this problem this actual problem that exists in the world that I can see a much better way of solving um, and it absolutely should be solved so um, uh, that started the ball rolling around like how would I actually uh, you know start to solve it and and that went all the way back to uh, you know going to art school and then getting getting a job in, in a web design agency where um, some of these insights started to like the aha moments came around like oh there's, there could be a way better way of, uh, creating for the web, uh, inside of this visual development software. Um, but I think it's a, um, trying to link that to kind of my, um, my journey as a, as a refugee or as an immigrant. Um, and, and the main thing I can, I can link that to is just the fact that I had to, I was put into so many different situations where I just had to figure it out. That that journey gave me the confidence when I did want to go figure out, you know, how I actually build this thing um, that I was pretty confident that I would be able to figure it out, even though there's so many unknowns um, and so many people telling me like this isn't going to work or, um, you know, other people have tried and there must be a reason why it didn't work, etc.
1: So talk to me a little bit about like inspirations. Uh, So, you know, you've you've talked, obviously you've got like the dentist surgeries, the videographers, you've you've got people who do business broadly around you, but you're also obviously in a place famous around the world for um, enabling people to follow vision uh, and yours is no linear path. So talk to me a little bit about where the inspiration comes from to go and do something like this. And is the vision so big the first time around?
0: That's a great question. Um, I think there's so many different sources of inspiration. Like I can, you know, I can quote you a list of uh, of people who, uh, you know, I had followed, like Steve Jobs and um, a bunch of TED TED speakers who I would, you know, uh, watch their watch their speeches or talks and and be really inspired around. Like, you know, these are folks who see a, a v- picture of a different world and go out and create it right? And kind of run through walls to make that happen. I think the, the full, um, there's two big sources of inspiration that I think were the most critical for me. So one was Pixar. Um, seeing what Pixar was able to do, uh, you know, it was a relatively small team uh, at the time. Now uh, it's like late 90s that they were able to take this new medium of 3D animation um, and build software around that uh, to tell those stories and empower animators and and uh, these creatives to leverage this new medium, this very technical uh, medium, um, and then bring these amazing magical stories to the big screen. Um, I, when I looked at that team, when I looked at what Pixar was able to do, like hit after hit, um, it was just like how, you know, I just wanted to learn how they were able to get uh, such a creative and deeply technical endeavor um uh and you know like i said before like run through walls to make that happen to bring that magical um like those magical stories to uh to the screen where just watching them you could tell that they were pushing the boundaries of what was possible every new film was like whoa they're getting like hair to look perfect now they're getting water to look perfect now they're getting um uh it, it, like to me it was both like a, a creative and technical achievement. Um, every time you would watch one of these movies and the second big inspiration was this person uh, named Brett Victor, um, who, uh, has a series of, he was, I think he was like a researcher and then he worked at Apple for a while on like, uh, you know, visual user interfaces, uh, for like the iPad interface. But ultimately he has this uh, website called worrydream.com where he had a bunch of talks. Um, and, uh, one time I happened to see this video called Inventing on Principle, uh, which is all around the combination of programming uh, or writing code in like a text editor, uh, and then seeing the output of that code in an actual like application or UI or like a visual expression of that, like a, uh, um, and, and bridging that gap to where you don't think of uh, code as a separate thing. Uh, Or this, like, end result is a separate thing, but, like, they're so deeply connected that when you change the code, the UI changes, or if you change the UI, the code behind the scenes changes. And when I saw this video, um, you know, I was working um, a full-time job at Intuit. And I already had a lot of the ideas behind Webflow. I already tried to to start it multiple times. It was not as grand and as uh, big of a vision as it ended up becoming, um, or as it became after that, after I watched that video, but seeing that, seeing that talk, it's like a 45 minute conference talk that, that he did, you know, many, many years ago, like 15 years ago or something like that. Um it had this combination of all of those concepts of visual manipulation and visual development. Plus he asked this core question, like, why do you do the work that you do? Uh, Why is it meaningful? What purpose does it bring to the world? What purpose and fulfillment does it bring to you as a person? Um, And the fact that these two things were connected, like something that, you know, was all around like this visual and computing realm, which I already was, you know, deeply inspired by uh, the folks at Pixar and everything that they were doing uh, and bringing it together with like this, um, actual development programming, um, kind of animation route, like bringing these two worlds together. Uh, literally the next morning I called my boss and said, I'm going to be leaving my job. Um, and, and working on this thing full time because that, uh, that video is just so that conference talk so perfectly combined these two concepts that after that, I was like, this this needs to become a reality. Like I need to uh, make Webflow um, a real thing that actually uh, you know benefits humans in the way that I that I imagined. Like makes uh, the this new medium of the web similar to how 3D was democratized. Uh, it, bringing the the power of this new medium to more and more people, uh, and, and that the combination of, of those things made me believe that that was possible. Um, and that again, got the ball rolling. Um, it's sometimes like that initial inspiration is like the main thing that you need that sustains you for many, many years, even after you see a lot of setbacks. And that's what it was for me. It was like, um, I kept going back to that video, to, to the inspiration behind inventing on principle, um, that, kept kept uh, this un- underlying belief that this is not only possible but it's inevitable um, that got me through a lot of like the darker moments um, especially in the early years uh, where it just wasn't a sure thing that this was going to work out
1: yeah one of my favorite quotes is when the student is ready the teacher appears I think what I love about that quote so much is how applicable it can be to various stages in your life where, you can come across the exact same video; nothing changes. Mm-hmm. You are just not in a place where it matters in your life. And then another time, you'll come across the same thing, and it will totally change your life. And um, mm-hmm. nothing has changed except for where you are on that journey and how you interpret it. And uh, what's really important as well about that that saying is, I think people put a great emphasis on uh, needing mentorship. You know, uh, can, I, can I speak to you for some mentorship? Can you be my coach? Can you X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. We live in a world where most things are recorded. And the you know the purpose of a podcast like this and YouTube and other things is mentorship is free all over the internet. And so is inspiration to hit you at the right time. And what you've just discussed is amazing because it is literally the right teacher with the right message for the right student at the right time, mm-hmm. you know, literally on a video um you didn't need to meet this person it just hit you at the right time and changed your life and created a massive organization and a you know rocket ship in the no code space i find all of that fascinating speaking about another teacher what was your favorite pixar film what can we say is your other favorite teacher there
0: uh it's tough to pick um uh, i think it, it used to be toy story 2 um now it's um uh if if you uh if you have to pull it out of me um it's shoot i totally i'm like totally blanking
1: <laughs> that always happens oh to people
0: God. when you ask a question they're like this is my favorite and
1: shit what's the name? no what's yeah, the one weird. about
0: feelings oh right inside out inside out why why did i blank on that it's it's my favorite movie so like and that, it's set in san francisco one, yeah it's uh exactly um, I'm embarrassed that, that, that I forgot the name, but that that is absolutely my favorite so far.
1: I'm not sure we can edit that out, my friend. It shows that you're yeah. you're human after all. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, okay, so um though you did a tweet a while ago. This is how I came in contact with you, because obviously it went viral. And it was all about um, you know, the multiple times that you tried to start Webflow and the multiple times you failed, and basically keep going. You know, it's kind of the lesson there. Talk to us a little bit about the, the the failing three times, you know, and what was your original vision for Webflow? Because you sort of alluded to it, and how did a vision evolve from failure into the vision for where you wanted to take it today?
0: Ooh, I think that um, kind of goes back to what you said about the the right teacher at the right time, or something like that. Um, it the initial iteration of Webflow uh, was all the way back in two thousand five. And that was, that came out of some of the inspiration um, uh, from Pixar, uh, but also um, that was, it didn't quite hit this, um, I didn't imagine it to be as like visual as it ended up being. Um, the first iteration was very much like a configuration driven, you know, all software back then was, it was more, it was like less delightful, less intuitive. It was more like forms driven uh, where you would have uh, you know, here's like a, a a page where you like configure something. um and that's kind of what the first version was, uh, that first original vision. I wouldn't even call it a vision. The vision was more around like how can I, um as I'm getting more and more clients that I'm building websites for, how can I create something that speeds that up for me? Um and I was a developer. I wasn't as much of a designer, so I was like solving that problem for myself. Um it was. You could say that it was no code or like less code or low code, uh, but it was more around like, okay, how do I create frameworks for myself as a programmer to uh, save some of the repetitive tasks um, and, and make uh, make creating these like dynamic web applications easier uh, as I get, get more and more clients. Over time, and at the time, the web was like entering this like web 2.0 era where, uh, you know, we kind of had these dark ages um, after the dot com crash where there was a lot of skepticism around, well, is the web going to be a viable medium for, uh, you know, delivering applications or uh, is it even going to be like a, a huge medium for just overall distribution of content, et cetera? I mean, obviously the answer is yes, but the, the question was around uh, how quickly and how much. Um and that, that first iteration, I tried to start as a business um, and like wrote, you know, the vast majority of what I believed to be like the code base that, you know, could bring it to market. Um, and there was like a series of technical and um, uh, like this framework, this framework that I had based everything on was by this company in Bulgaria that went out of business. And then I didn't have, uh, you know, the source code to their it's sort of like this core library that I was basing everything around um and I just felt like the whole thing self-destructed like it just the technology that I was built on um I just couldn't i had to do like a full rewrite um, and it couldn't sustain itself so that that felt like a failure because I'm like all right now i uh, you know I kind of have to start from scratch and it coincided with a lot of like life events that I was just graduating I fell in love um and was engaged to be married and uh, you know kind of had to get a real job. So I felt pretty discouraged that, Hey, here's this thing that I poured like more than a year into and wrote my senior project around and almost got to working. And then, you know, by no fault of my own, this company went out of business and I can't like recover uh, anything here. And I felt like I didn't have enough time because I had to go get a job and uh, start to make a living and, you know, kind of provide for my future wife, et cetera. Um, And then the second time around was a couple of years later where I still had this itch um, and I started rebuilding it sort of like nights and weekends while I, um, while I had this, this job at Intuit. Um, and, uh, I kind of, uh, you know, gave it a shot then, uh, then spent a bunch of time, uh, trying to build the product. But again, I took it into so many different, uh, sort of versions, depending on like which client that I got, uh, you know, the requirements changed a ton. So I I was like kind of all over the place and didn't quite know what I was building. Um, and that petered out over time. And then about a year later I got re-inspired again. It was like, okay, I need to, um, I need to, this was sort of 2007, 2008 when YC was becoming a thing more and more of, Um, you know, convertible notes started to become a thing. You start to see more and more startups being funded in this like early seed stage. And that's when like the, um, like got re-inspired again and actually found a couple couple co-founders that were working with me at Intuit uh, where we sort of started spending nights and weekends on it together started to put together like a business plan got some funding got incorporated um, and uh, started you know building pitch decks started uh, you know coding the product Um, and again a, a lot of unfortunate series both fortunate and unfortunate series of events happen where uh, we just ran out of money, ran out of, um, you know, one of the co-founders decided it wasn't for him because we just like, were not showing any traction, weren't able to find any investors to talk to. Um, and uh, it, and then we had like this trademark situation where we applied for a trademark and it got uh, both denied and I already had the domain webflow.com, which I um, took out a bunch of credit card loans to to pay for, but couldn't get the actual trademark to use the name as like our official uh Uh, doing business as that type of name. Um, And that combination of all of those things running out of money, running out of, um, uh, you know, starting to lose some of this kind of momentum with with co-founders and the technology at the time, like in 2007, um, wasn't quite, browsers weren't uh, sophisticated enough to enable building something like truly visual inside the browser. So it was still like this sort of like configuration driven uh, approach um, compared uh, combined with almost like a square spacey like, um, you know, very simple site builder and like UI builder. And um, again, because of all those like factors, it ended up petering out again uh, where I was like, ah, this just is all the signs are pointing to uh, this isn't going to work. And and at the same time, multiple other startups in the space, like Weebly, were really taking off and getting, they got like a large, um, I remember Weebly getting almost like a, I think a $25 million round from Sequoia, which is unheard of. Uh, and and part of my mindset at the time was like, okay, well, somebody else is going to like run away with this and, uh, you know, solve this problem. So I felt pretty discouraged. And um, it was also around the time that my wife and I started talking about having kids I moved back to Sacramento to be closer to family. Um, And uh, all these factors kind of came together to, and and like it slowly died again. Um, And it wasn't until many years later when I saw this inventing on principle video. And by that time I was already, you know, in Sacramento had two kids, uh, felt like I couldn't take any risks. um, And, you know, we didn't have much in terms of savings. Um, And it was only after watching that video that, everything just like rushed back in or i like, okay, this is a, um, uh, the fact that the, this, this vision or this idea morphed into, Hey, and, and the technology at the time in 2012, uh, this like last iteration, browsers had caught up and like responsive web design became a thing where you could, you could build so much more in the browser, uh, with new browser APIs, like Chrome and Safari and and Firefox had gotten so advanced at that point through the, the, uh, creation, you know, uh, applications like Google Maps started to push the boundaries of like what you could do in the browser. Um, and, you know, combined with this inventing on principle video, like that reformed everything and like re-energized, uh, re-energized me even to the degree where I was like, man, I know this like failed three times in the past, uh, but things are so fundamentally different now that, you know, over the, the last five years, this, what I thought Weebly was going to turn into like this multi-billion dollar company that just takes over how um, how people create for the web, especially like professional things for the web. Uh, that didn't really manifest. Um, you know, there's more and more demand for responsive design and doing things visually um, that it was enough of a um, kind of groundswell of great signals uh, that made me forget about all the failures. I'm just like, all right, this is, uh, this is definitely worth another shot, um, enough so that, you know, like, picked up our family and and moved to the Bay Area kind of sight unseen. Um, found the first like condo we could like live in and just went heads down to work on it as much as I could.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that often becomes a common theme in entrepreneurial stories of great success is is actually um, there's a time and place for risk. And for a lot mm-hmm. of people, it's not the place that you've just discussed. You know, uh, You know, by the time you've got two kids and the wife, and a really well-paying job, and things are good, it's very hard, like very, very hard to have the balls to decide to throw that all away, to take the risk, and obviously even harder to try and convince everyone else you're not crazy. So A, can you tell us a little bit about how you and your wife handled that conversation at the time? Did she think you were mental? And secondly, (laughs) for other people who are in a situation like you've led? and are like god i really want to do this thing but is now the right time um what would you say to them
0: who it was a it was a lot of conversations that led to um it, it was wasn't just the initial conversation where you know i had to convince my wife um that this was like a good idea to kind of drop everything and risk um risk such a um I wouldn't say like my job was like super high paying, uh, but it was stable and it was uh, it was something where we could uh, we could know that our you know kids were safe. We had uh, health insurance, etc. Um, I think the thing that brought her over the edge initially was the fact that that I was able to convince myself and her that um, three months in we would somehow get uh, we would get funding to replace my or replace close to my previous income which in hindsight ended up being like way wishful thinking uh that that didn't happen until a couple years later um in reality but initially when you know put together this plan around like well we could um sell all of the 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 intuit stock that we had which is like very minimal like i think it was um selling all of it netted something like fifteen thousand dollars. Um, which I know sounds like a privileged thing to say that that's minimal. Uh, but for us, it was like, OK, maybe that's three months of uh, three months of runway that gets us to if we do a Kickstarter and um, create like this video that gets people to con- to uh, realize that they want what we're building, then that. We'll create an influx of cash and uh, we'll be off to the races. So that was the initial conversation. We are just like both inspired and motivated that like, hey, this is, you know, this is a kind of feels like my life's work. I've been, I tried to do it three different times. Like something is like the universe is telling me that uh, this needs to happen again. Um, So she was definitely on board. But uh, three months go by, right? Like we move here and then all sorts of, uh, you know, we actually like start, Uh, start the company my brother joins um, but then that money runs out right then you start to like borrow against credit cards then you know my my uh, one of my daughters unfortunately had this big medical event and we only had catastrophic health insurance which you know has like massive deductibles um, and uh, through a lot of like unfortunate events we end up being like way in debt right and, and then the hard conversations get a lot harder around, like, when do you stop? When do you consider going back to, um, uh, you know, we're already having conversations around going back to my old job and uh, moonlighting, like continuing to work on Webflow um, nights and weekends, etc. But I think there was always like this um, kind of there was something next, like some hope that was hey if this if this happens if we get into yc or if we launch something and uh, people resonate with it um like it makes sense to keep going in some way um and we got very close to the edge where we almost gave up um and and went back to uh to my old job but it was always like on this and and we pushed our you know family budget way beyond what it should have gone so there's a lot of like survivorship bias in uh what i can say here around like the decisions that i made were probably completely foolish financially. Right. And I would probably, if I had a close friend going through the same thing, I would probably not recommend, um, recommend them to keep like pulling money out from like credit cards or like these balance transfer offers, uh, because, you know, to keep the company afloat. Right. Um, or to, you know, borrow money from friends or to like sell your cars, uh, to like fund the next rent payment or whatever. Um, I I don't know what I would like these days. I I can't with a straight face say I would recommend doing what I actually did. I can say that, you know, looking back, it worked out for um, ultimately worked out for us. uh, But it was a it was really sketchy for a long time. Right. And it just as easily could have, if not more so could have gone into a completely different direction. But I think always having there was always like the sense of you know, what's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is like, this totally shuts down and I have to like pay back debts for like five years and, and get like a real day job. True.
1: Although, although you mentioned just a moment ago, uh, right, well, what, you know, coming up next, you know, we'll get into YC and then, but as I understand it, you did try and get into YC and you didn't. So what happens when you set yourself the next milestone and it doesn't happen? How do you keep going with the narrative to yourself? Because that's, a very important insight and lesson into resilience of entrepreneurs that do make it because you told yourself a narrative you gave yourself a milestone you failed the milestone you keep going new narrative has to emerge so tell us a little bit about that
0: i almost had this um so what happened was later so three months after this was maybe november 20 october november 2012 where we applied to yc and i had all these hopes around like well They're going to accept us. We're going to get a little bit of funding that's going to keep us going. Uh, We did get rejected the first time. Uh, But I think the thing that um, I had this kind of exuberant, I wouldn't say exuberant optimism, but like this way of explaining things away, maybe you can call it denial, uh, right? Where when we got that rejection, it shocked me initially because it was like, you know, to me initially when I read that, um, that email that we didn't get an interview, it meant like the company has to shut down. Uh, because it just seemed existential to me. Because we had no, it didn't seem at the time that we had many ways to to keep going. And that was like the first big signal that like maybe other people don't believe in what we're building. Uh, but I think a few days after that, like as that um, got absorbed, I, like I found my brain making excuses around like, well, our our application like didn't have much traction. So obviously they would like deny us until we have traction. So let's go like seek traction so that next time. Um, they, you know, they can see that there's a lot more behind, it's not just an idea or just like this demo that we're showing, but like people are actually resonating with it. Uh, so pretty quickly it became like a, well, of course they would deny us. Um, so it, it sort of turned from shock into, uh, into a, this belief that, um, okay, we now have to go chase this, uh, to have like a way better application or a lot more, uh, substance so that when they do review us next time, they see, tremendous growth between like when we first applied uh, and and what we're, we're able to show now, which is exactly what happened, right? We were able to uh, apply six months later with a um, significantly better um, kind of traction story. Even though we didn't have a product out there yet, we could say like, hey, a lot of people are like waiting on the wait list or we were able to show the world what we're building and it and um, a lot of people really resonated with it. Um, so I don't know. it you know, but honestly, to my wife at the time, it didn't make sense. It was like, okay, why? How are you You're just convincing yourself to keep going? You're just yeah, looking for uh, another excuse to, uh, you know, or like this exuberant optimism, or almost like optimism, not informed by reality. Uh, Which but, is all true. But all true. Yeah, to- totally. And in, I mean, she's in my calling mind, it how it is. And, and you know, that exactly. that's
1: true. And you keep going anyway, because that is the beautiful insanity yeah. of an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. One thing I'll say, though, is like um, it was really, really important for me to to keep these conversations with my wife, um, like so honest and um, and frequent uh, to help convince each other and help create these. um, Eventually we created she helped me create like this red line that by a certain date, if we didn't have um, any like real external interest or indication, I had to go back and. Uh, get my job. Uh, it just happened that I kept like, you know, negotiating, pushing that a little bit until like we were able to get into YC and, and get, um, uh, kind of the initial version of Webflow or like the idea of it, which is still live by the way. Um, that first version that we just showed the world, um, at playground.webflow.com I believe. Yeah. Um, and it was just, we barely uh, made it by the skin of our teeth in like convincing my wife to like, wait a little longer uh to to show like traction and um uh, show that the this could lead to a real thing
1: so for those that don't know and you know halfway through our interview might seem like a strange time to do it but what is webflow
0: webflow is a visual development platform we are um, a way for businesses and uh, freelancers, service providers, um, people, agencies who are uh, creating really sophisticated professional websites uh, to build those sites, to host and manage them, uh, run them in production. We have uh, hundreds of thousands of businesses, hundreds of thousands of startups, and like now enterprise companies who, uh, from start to finish, use Webflow to uh, build and power their website in production. So you can think of it as a combination of like WordPress and Squarespace or WordPress and Photoshop and Figma all in one package to um, build really, really professional sophisticated websites um, and run them in production.
1: And what is it do you think that's so unique about Webflow that's really captured people's imagination and passion for it?
0: I think the key thing that we launched with and has differentiated us in the market for so long is the fact that uh, we don't, uh, we truly keep it as a professional tool. So a lot of website builders, they are, you know, you pick a template and you move some content around. Webflow is a true abstraction over things like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So that a site built in Webflow can actually be um, on par with what a front end developer could could build so apple.com stripe.com uh, a bunch of like really really powerful um Powerful websites can be built in Webflow because they Webflow actually surfaces the power of HTML and CSS, uh, just in a more visual, more intuitive way. It doesn't try to completely hide those concepts. It doesn't try to uh, like dumb things down to the degree where uh, it, you lose a lot of power and a lot of flexibility. So we are really well known for, if you can imagine... Uh, a specific pro website you can usually uh, build it in webflow um, if a developer can build it in code and and it has taught so many people who aren't classically developers how to become a web developer um, and we just call them visual developers they might not be like a software engineer uh, but they are using webflow to create really really sophisticated things that sometimes they're selling for you know if they're a service provider an agency sometimes they they um, you know they might pay us a few hundred dollars for the software, but they're charging hundreds of, thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars for like the the really pro, powerful websites that they build uh, with Webflow. Uh, and we have so many businesses that go from you know paying millions of dollars for like these huge enterprise deployments to run their uh, their websites um, to uh, you know a fraction of that, and and to be able to move. Ten times faster uh, by empowering their design and marketing teams to to go um, whatever they imagine. They can actually build directly in Webflow without relying on an engineering team, without relying on a coder, etc. Um, so. Feels like, But it also feels like we're just getting started. Like the, the web is still um, vastly underutilized when it comes to building really powerful things for it. Um, and the vast majority um, is still built by developers, by, by coders who are, you know, in a text editor or in an IDE or whatever. Uh, and we're trying to bring more and more of that power into a visual development experience.
1: And give me some idea of like some of your better known clients that people are going to be familiar with
0: discord new york times orange theory fitness um dell uh pwc yeah we have so
1: not we're not talking small companies we're talking large and small obviously IDO. Right? yeah, yeah. Huge. all yeah.
0: over yeah all over the map we have a lot of um it, the vast majority of yc startups that that go live uh, are using uh webflow to power their sites uh so there's a lot of like from smaller teams to growing teams to uh, absolutely huge teams like amazon use the web for
1: casual uh i love that you're trying to remember big big companies and then you finally remembered amazon um okay (laughs) so i guess we're about to get onto an insight which is uh what are you still working on so from a personal development point of view what is like one not character flaw but you know growth opportunity that you just haven't yet shifted to completion you're still got that insecurity, that challenge, the feedback keeps coming back, you know you still haven't quite mastered it.
0: I'll give you probably the biggest one. Um, I'd say I've nowhere near mastered it. I, I'd say I'm so much better than I was before, but it's an area where I'm constantly uh, learning and growing. And that's, um, you know, naturally, I'm I'm this uh, kind of peacekeeper type of person, right? I don't want to upset everyone, anyone. I want to make sure like I'm bringing people along. Uh, but the thing that I'm learning is how to be more candid uh, with a level of care uh, that um, doesn't overly index on just the care part, right? Because there's so many, so many different situations where you just like don't want to disappoint somebody, right? And they might not be, um, they might not be meeting expectations, or uh, it might be something where you just like uh, the business needs something different. Uh, than like a project that somebody's like really passionate about that you just want to like green light and like give them the opportunity to like work on it and prove that they can do it Um, but you know in the past I would almost always uh, defer to well do what makes more people feel good right Um, and uh, over the last few years especially I've been moving towards like what is the collective good thing for um, for all you know all the folks not just at Webflow or on their team, but like our, our customers and our community, the business, um, and, and trying to make more, more, uh, objective decisions that way, even if there's like, uh, you know, room to upset or disappoint somebody, um, and going into those conversations with, with more, um, convincing myself that, you know, I'm not a terrible person, uh, just because I, I might be disappointing. Someone has been like, the biggest sort of um, kind of mental challenge for me to shift my thinking, um, as you know, the company has gotten larger. There's like more decisions to be made, more um, more career conversations, more strategy and product uh, like investment conversations, more you know hiring conversations. There's just so many different things that are that are ripe for um, uh, being good for the whole, maybe maybe not as good for like an individual or or a group yeah. of people. And I'm and, assuming and that you've read
1: Radical Candor.
0: Yes, I have. That's the the helpful, quintessential. Huh? It's it's very helpful, but it doesn't. It like the framework doesn't make the uh, doesn't the make it. You've got to practice less... it. No, for sure. Yeah, exactly, yeah, for sure. Exactly. But
1: but at least yeah. knowing, like you just said, I I struggle with the same thing, which is like, oh, but I don't want to come across unkind. And at least knowing how or why it doesn't come across unkind in reality is actually a very helpful framework. I
0: found. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, okay, Vlad. Last question for you. Obviously, not all entrepreneurs listening are going to be complete maniacs that go in, you know the first time, second time, third time, fourth time. Got kids now. Now is definitely the right time, etc., etc. But um, what is your advice to young entrepreneurs that are looking to build truly innovative products in the marketplace of tomorrow?
0: I think my biggest advice is don't try to build a business for the sake of building a business. Um, Solve a problem that you believe is truly worth solving. Um, whether it's a problem that you face or that you see other people face directly. Because I've seen that over the last, um, you know, many, many years, more than a decade now, if you, if you count the initial starts, almost two decades, um, where that is the thing. Like when you are truly can see that something's broken, you're passionate about solving a specific problem. Um, you know, Y Combinator's combo, uh, motto is... Um, build make something people want or make something people need. And in that ethos, if you're truly passionate about like so, like if you see a need in the world and you can imagine a solution to it, like that can help um accelerate. that can help push through so many different challenges and so many different problems, right? like that that will give you the motivation to to keep going. That'll give you um, a vehicle to, uh, like practice and and gain new skills, because like that, that's like the end goal that you're chasing. How do I make this thing uh, real? Not like, how do I build a business of like a certain value? Or how do I uh, get a, um, a startup to a certain milestone so that I can say that I did it right? Like all those things are fleeting. Um, and it's that, um, it's that pursuit of solving a truly important problem that you believe is worth solving, that at least for me has been a um a force that has helped you know helped through some of the darkest times uh because it, it not just through the darkest times but it helps pull you into a future that you're just like almost like manifesting uh because you you, you believe that there's fundamentally a better way uh, to do things that you're just like making real and then everything else follows like that that means if you're if if that's what you're chasing that means you're creating a solution or product that people like resonate with and so actually solves their problem which means that they're probably willing to pay for it which means that they're going to give you money which means that you can uh get some you know funding or traction uh whether through customers or through investors etc um but that that is um if, if your goal is something different, then, you know, I just want to start a business. Okay, and now I'm going to go look for an idea. That that didn't work for me. Or at least, uh, uh, I don't know if it's worked for others. Um, it's it's truly like the the underlying purpose is always like to solve this this one core problem. And then everything else kind of uh, fell alongside it or, or had to happen because of that pursuit.
1: Yeah. What I love about your answer is a lot of people say, and it's often cited wisdom that you know, discipline eats motivation for breakfast. And actually here you are almost saying the opposite, which is if you find something that you love enough, you'll find motivation and you will remotivate yourselves consistently because you care enough about solving the problem.
0: Absolutely. That has been the case for me. Like I'd say I'm probably one of the or have been one of the least disciplined people when it comes to like which daily to rituals know. and habits. Uh but like it's that it's that um kind of purpose and motivation that that kept me going. all these years.
1: Behind the scenes, before this started, we're doing our sound test and we asked you what you ate for breakfast and you said nothing. So I feel like the perfect way to end is, uh, you know, discipline might eat motivation for breakfast, but Vlad eats motivation for lunch. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And on that note, Vlad, thank you so much for joining us on Secret Leaders. It's been a huge pleasure.
0: Thank you, Dan. It's an honor to be here.
1: If you enjoyed this episode and found it useful, please write us a review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. It makes a real difference. And we genuinely love reading what you think. We read every single review.
0: Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do.
1: Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips, and tricks.
0: Told by leading names in sport and beyond
1: who know what it takes to get to the very top.
0: There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow.
1: Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta, and we'll be back next week with more lessons for entrepreneurs and leaders. This episode was produced by Alex Graham, Ruth Edwards, and all brought together by our head of podcast, Will Solomon. See you next time.